great. Welcome to the uh, CNS Journal Club podcast. Today I'd be highlighting an article from the April 2020 issue of Neurosurgery. Uh, my name is uh, Dr. Raphael Vega from Beth Israel DKNS Medical Center in Boston, and I'll be serving as a moderator for today's discussion. I'm truly honored to have today Dr. John Reeve Cantwell, the senior author, will be discussing his article entitled Mechanical Thrombectomy and Acute Ischemic Stroke, a meta-analysis of stent retrievers versus direct aspiration versus a combined approach. John, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, yeah, um, uh, John, can you introduce yourself to the listeners just to give them a little background of who you are? Yes, uh, this is John Reeve Cantwell. I'm the uh, director of cerebrovascular and endovascular neurosurgery at uh, Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. Excellent. And as the guest faculty today, we have Dr. Jay Mako. Um, can you introduce yourself? Sure, this is Dr. Jay Mako. I'm uh, director of the cerebrovascular center and vice chair of neurosurgery at uh, Mount Sinai Health System in New York City. Excellent, and uh, as uh, our CNS resident fellow, we have Dr. Dagubadi. Um, can you introduce yourself for us too? Absolutely, this is uh, Lakers Dagubadi. I'm a fifth year resident at uh, Penn State Hershey Medical Center in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Great. And so we'll be uh, discussing the paper and asking questions. So, John, uh, let's get right into the study. Can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, the study, you know, provide a brief summary and maybe the relevance given the recent advances in endovascular neurosurgery for acute stroke care? Yeah. So th this is a, a meta-analysis that we did looking at uh, both stent retriever versus direct aspiration versus a combined approach with the two different techniques. So we uh, included 19 studies, uh, over 2,400 patients, and uh, looked at a number of uh, variables, including the uh, modified uh, thrombolysis and cerebral infarction score, uh, as well as uh, patient-level variables. And the, the primary conclusion uh, was, uh, number one, that, that stent retrieval uh, thrombectomy and direct aspiration uh, did not show any, any significant uh, differences. And uh, the current evidence uh, does not allow us to draw a sufficient conclusion as to whether one is, is superior to the other. Interestingly, though, in the, in the article, the combined use of a stent uh, retriever and aspiration as a first-line strategy when compared with uh, direct aspiration was associated with higher uh, modified TK2B3 and modified TK3 recanalization rates although with a, with a higher risk of 24-hour subarachnoid hemorrhage. Yeah, very interesting. You know, can you tell us a little bit about your personal experience, you know, with stent retrievers or direct aspiration? How often do you do maybe a combined approach in your experience? Yeah, so I, I, uh, we, we have a, a slight preference toward uh, uh, stent retrievers. Uh, although direct aspiration is used quite frequently in the, in the uh, in, in my practice, one thing that I have uh, changed is if if there's a first line failure, I'm very quick to go to a, a combined uh, therapy approach at this point. Mm -hmm. Now I know that the fo uh, the focus of the study was mainly on the anterior circulation, uh, but you know just to broaden the scope for the readers, maybe you know. Have you done this, or what your experience is maybe in posterior circulation? 
Yes, we, so the, the papers that were included, actually one of the exclusion criteria that we had is uh, we did not include posterior circulation uh, studies or, or in the pediatric population. And we also excluded older technology, uh, but the, the, from a practical standpoint, these techniques are the same techniques that are used in the, in the posterior circulation. Yes, exactly. Very good. Uh, well, you know, thank you again just for giving us a brief summary, but I'd love to open this up to uh, Dr. Mako to see if he has some questions for the author, maybe open up for discussion. Uh, sure, thank you very much. Uh, John, great study, uh, a lot of work and some real detailed analysis. Uh, the, the figures and tables, uh, for anyone who's listening, I would highly recommend they check them out as there's a, a lot of data that's well summarized in, in a few figures. Um, looking at everything, a couple questions, and one of the things you highlighted a bit in your um, discussion, but um, do you think that perchance the results, the, the slight skew towards the combined approach in terms of the improved um, TIKI scores uh, may be related to the fact that the, those studies were primarily self-reported, right, and didn't really have a lot of adjudication, if I remember reading that correctly in your discussion? Absolutely. That's one of, one of the, the, the dangers where you don't have independent uh, observers reporting the variables. You can absolutely introduce a, a reporting bias. So we, we do have to interpret the results of the, of the study with caution. Um, I do think that the, the results of the study are, are intriguing and intriguing enough to potentially consider further work in this area but I don't think that we can draw any definitive conclusions that a combination therapy is, is superior at this point. Yeah, excellent, and, and you certainly uh, layered your conclusions uh, in a correct way uh, around those things. Um, other thing, you know, you guys have mentioned sort of some of the prior discussions about cost related to the various approaches. Um, I know there's limited data to that effect, but in your review of everything, were there any kind of interesting side notes or um, pieces of data or summaries of data that stuck out even if they didn't make it into the paper? Yes, no, Jay, that's a great point. Uh, I, and I think that if just surveying the literature, you'll find that direct aspiration is the most cost-effective uh, approach for mechanical thrombectomy. And there are, are studies supporting that. And so that is one of the, the, the areas that if, if a combined approach, I, I would not uh, say that this is definitive, and we certainly need to uh, proceed with caution about advocating that a combined approach uh, is the, the preferred method, particularly from a cost standpoint, because that will drive the cost of a stroke treatment up quite a bit when you're combining both technologies. Yeah, interesting. Have you? Do you guys have any um, looked at any site-specific data in terms of your experience across the, the the choices? We have we have not looked at our own data uh, in terms of cost-effectiveness. No. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's so funny getting at the getting at the root of cost is often a challenge even within your own health systems. <laughs> at least yes. that's been my experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So uh, an interesting sort of adjunct in in reviewing your paper is. Um, right around the same time as your paper came in, coming out, uh, the Lancet published the COMPASS trial. Uh, full disclosure, I happen to be a PI of it. So, um, But that was an evaluation of uh, 
aspiration uh, versus stent retriever. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts of that information and how it may or may not influence your interpretation uh, of your current data. Yes, so I, I think that, the, that our meta-analysis just simply reinforces uh, the, the, the COMPASS data. I mean, COMPASS demonstrated that uh, essentially non-inferiority of the aspiration versus uh, stent retrieval, and our meta-analysis uh, demonstrates the exact same thing, that there is essentially no difference in uh, the, the endpoints when, compa when uh, comparing the, uh, the two of stent retrieval and, and aspiration. So I think that they're they're complementary. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. The only interesting thing that sort of stood out to me was that um, you know in the Compass trial it was pragmatic, so centers were allowed to perform as they wanted, and 85% um, of the stent retriever cases were done with concomitant aspiration. So they were they were first you know, first line combined approaches. That's very um, interesting. Yeah, so it, I wonder you know it's it's interesting. I wonder if it's whether it's the 15% of stent retrievers alone in cases. Um, or, or whether that sort of, you know, drives some sort of equivalency across the across the approaches. Yes, it it, it certainly brings to mind. It makes me wonder whether uh, what, what value there would be to go back and look at that data and as a and, and create subgroups where it's pure mm -hmm. uh, uh, combined therapy versus stent retrieval versus aspiration and see if any differences come out in the, in the subgroups. It's a great idea, actually. Great idea. Um, you know, it, it, those kinds of things get challenged because of. Um, I know we were looking at it for balloon guides. About 40% of the population had balloon guides. Yes. Um, and uh, and it's it's hard because certain practitioners do it a certain way, so you get all this bias according to center and and practitioner. Uh, that's hard to tease out uh, often, but I think you. You're, you're spot on. Some, an analysis like that would probably be very interesting. Very interesting. Yes. Yes. Uh, I'm happy, um, happy to help out. <laughs> <laughs> you, got, you got it. Did you happen to look at the influence of balloon guides in your step retriever analysis? Great point, and we we did not. Uh, we looked at the influence of IVTPA as and, and publication year with the thought being that as the technology has been out, are we actually just getting better at the technology, but neither IVTPA nor publication year uh, influenced our, our results, but balloon guide subsets would definitely be worth looking at. Yeah, that would be interesting. Sometimes I wonder as, as uh, the field has gained more experience with all of these tools, if they're um, simultaneously people are treating Thicker patients, larger cores, you know, as everyone gets more and more comfortable, tandem lesions yeah. and all those sorts of things. So uh, yeah. it's hard to tease out progress versus selection sometimes. Yes, yes, I agree. You know, absolutely. Um, so in terms of uh, your current practice, I, I heard that you guys probably favor stent retrieval and thrombectomy a little more, but in general are, are relatively quick to move to dual therapy. So does that mean you would still do? Do you still perform stent retrieval thrombectomy without a distal access catheter, with just a neck balloon guide? Sometimes. Yes, we do. Yes, and uh, it basically it's personal preference. It's, uh, that, but we just go up with a balloon guide catheter. Typically, we'll do stent retrieval as a as a as a first technique. But what I've changed uh, in the, in the past year or so is that 
if there is if it's failure after one pass, I will move to uh, a combined technique as uh, for for the second pass and beyond. Got it. Got it. That's very very interesting. Yeah. I I, I appreciate the discussions. You know, uh, Dr. John Body, uh, do you have some questions that pertain to the paper you'd like to ask? Uh, absolutely. Um, I think uh, Dr. Mako and uh, Dr. Rivi Kantel, um alluded to this a little bit, but uh, the technology, especially in the direct aspiration, is uh, constantly changing. Uh, do you think the results of this uh, uh, this meta-analysis uh, will stay the same as new technologies come out in both fields? And uh, if if you don't, which of the three technologies do you think show the most prop promise going forward? Yeah, so it's a, that's a great question, and uh, no, I don't think that these results are going to stand the test of time. Uh, and I'm just being brutally honest that the, it, because in the, in the world of endovascular, the one constant is that the technology is always changing. So if you look back 10 or 15 years ago when we were using the Mercy device and wire thrombolysis, and then take a look at where we are right now with stent retrievers, balloon guide catheters, aspiration catheters, the, the uh, tools that we use are completely different. So I would entirely expect that these, these results will change and, and become obsolete over time. In terms of the, which of the three techniques, I'm most intrigued by the combination therapy uh, just based on this, this paper, but I think that a lot more work needs to be done to, to prove that there's any advantage to it, particularly when you factor in things such as cost. But the broader question is, is it really even techniques that we're going to be talking about, or are we going to be talking about adjunctive uh, medical therapy, um, particularly in light of the, the, the recent news about the ESCAPE uh, NA trial? Are we going to be talking about, uh, you know, adding in a, a, an aminopeptide to our technique mm -hmm. or some other adjunctive therapy that's, that is not a... Uh, stent retriever or aspiration catheter and is more an injectable, and, and that's entirely possible. So I, I, I expect the field to continue to change. That's so yeah, super interesting. We may even be seeding the brain with, uh, you know, progenitor cells or pro-progenitor uh, pro cell uh, drugs or any number of other things in that acute phase. It's an exciting future ahead of us. Yes, yes, I agree. Right, and I think uh, one of the recent um, major studies that have come out, and I don't know if you were able to include uh, any of those results in, in this particular study, but uh, with the advent of the DAWN trial and the expansion of the timing for thrombectomy, I don't know if you, uh, your practice reflects this. Do you, do you change the approach based on how long it's been since the patient's been down? Do you mean the, the, the technical approach? I mean, uh, the, between the three technologies, if you choose different technologies based on the length of time, even though they have the uh, expected number still present? That's a great question. I, I typically don't, but I will change the approach based on anatomical location. So if there's a, a, a cervical ICA occlusion which with, with, with what looks like to be a large burden of thrombus, I would be more apt to go through aspiration than I would for, for stent retriever. I believe that aspiration uh, is, in my opinion, better for larger clot burdens. So that's, it, 
in that being said, if there's a lesion uh, that's farther out uh, where you can't get a larger aspiration catheter, I think stent retriever is, it has, has a slight advantage over that as well. So I think anatomically, I, I would be influenced more than just a time variable. Uh, Dr. Malko, do you, um, do you feel the same way? I was just curious what your thoughts on that was. Um, yeah, I, I would agree. You know, sort of what your question at its root asks to me is, if a trial such as Donor Diffuse used a disproportionate number of a particular device, for instance, in Don, it was specifically stent retrievers. So currently, that, that particular stent retriever is the only device that has an indication all the way up to 24 hours. Do we believe that with the sum of the data that's now available, that we should, as clinicians, be able to choose between the different recanalization techniques, or do you, you know, do you have to use a particular one? Are they essentially equivalent in our real practice, or for a particular patient, you have to use one versus the other, based on indications, separate from our, you know, anatomic or um, you know, uh, anecdotal biases? And I, I would subject, and I've kind of felt this word for a while, that ultimately we, we still need to leave. Uh, the heart of that decision making with the physician to be able to determine, you know, is this going to work for them? And I do believe the ample amount of data that we have for all of the approaches show essential equivalency. Now, certainly, if we we're going to have some completely new approach, we should, you know, have to evaluate that in, in some specific circumstances. But in general, I think these two have now been tried and tested uh, in terms of my take. Absolutely. Interesting. Yeah, I, I agree with with Dr. Mako that it, it's just because stent retrievers were used with a farther time point. I it it does not it's not to the exclusion of the other device. I think it's it, it the, the really take home point for me of, is that those patients can be treated, and not it's not about treated by what technique. It's just the fact that they can be treated. Mm -hmm. Um, did you have any other questions for us, uh, Dr. Um, I, I think a couple of other questions, Dr. Marco uh, already okay. uh, Marco already uh, asked Covered, regarding yeah. how this would change uh, your clinical practice, and you answered that beautifully. Wow. Well, you know, thank you all uh, for this wonderful discussion. I think uh, you know definitely learned a lot and, and got a lot of insight, and so hopefully the readers enjoyed. Uh, so again, this is Dr. Vega. I'd like to thank all the participants, uh, Dr. Ruby Cantwell, Dr. Mako, Dr. Dagubati. Thank you so much for this wonderful journal club. It's great discussion, and for all the listeners, I'd love for you guys are encouraged to click through and obtain CME credit and check out for more upcoming uh, podcasts. Um, thank you again for everybody's time. Great, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much.